Tripping is the highest when I fight my foes. You're tuned in to the Highlight Reel Special. Today, I'm covering last week's episodes of Dynamite and Rampage, as well as this week's shows. I'm also going to talk some boxing today, as we have a big fight going down tonight between Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. Big heavyweight action there. Plus, Tony Khan tweets at WWE. Apparently, SmackDown and Rampage are going to go to war next week, and Tony Khan got them Twitter fingers. I'll delve into that. Plus, The Rock got bars. Yeah, The Rock makes his debut rapping on a Tech 9 track. This track here that you're listening to right now, I'm going to play his verse, and we'll discuss it. All this and more on the Highlight Reel. Hello, THR here. I want to welcome you to the Highlight Reel. I got a stacked show for you today because I have to make up for last week where I did take a little hiatus. I did not cover Dynamite or Rampage that popped off last week, but I did watch the shows. I did watch the shows, and to be quite honest, they were both kind of mediocre, in my opinion, um, especially on the part of Rampage. Uh, but disappointingly so for Dynamite, as it was a tribute show to Brody Lee, which is a very classy touch for AEW to continue to pay tribute to Brody. Uh, but the show itself, as far as the matches, the storytelling, and the things that went on, it just wasn't up to par, in my opinion. And I'll delve into why in a very brief summary uh, of what I thought about the show and review it a little bit. I also want to talk about boxing on this episode as well because later on tonight we're going to have the big bout between Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury, the trilogy, the third fight, the rubber match that will most likely end it all here. Um, I'll give my prediction and some takes on that as well as Canelo and Caleb Plant. Now I know boxing is not something that I cover extensively anymore. Early when I first started this podcast, I did have full episodes devoted exclusively to boxing. Uh, I called it the Talking Boxing uh, editions of the Highlight Reel. Obviously, I don't I don't cover boxing extensively like that anymore. I don't, I don't think I ever will. Um, just because at the end of the day, this podcast, it is a sports podcast. But let's be real. It is mostly centered in wrestling. I think that's pretty much established. Um, but... I do still want to cover boxing from time to time, uh, more specifically when there is big matches coming up like Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder, and Canelo and Caleb Plant. But before I delve into the review and some news, I want to talk about the stuff that I did not cover last week because I took a little hiatus. The TBS Championship, a brand new secondary women's title for AEW and their women's division. A tournament will be held to crown the first TBS champion in similar fashion to the TNT title belt, which was won by Cody Rhodes. So far, the participants confirmed 
for the TBS title match tournament are Thunder Rosa, Jade Cargill, Sky Blue, and Ruby Soho. Of course, this was confirmed by Tony Schiavone on the aforementioned AEW Dynamite episode that popped off last week. And, you know, it's... I don't know I don't know how to feel about this title bout man because on one hand I'm actually kind of I mean initially initially when I watched it unfold live obviously I reported on the rumors a week beforehand um as I told y'all you know Fightful Select you know they're usually pretty accurate with their rumors with their news um you know what I mean uh, I reported on that and I and I said that I didn't like the idea I thought it would be a counterproductive idea because the women's division, as far as my vantage point goes, it's not up to par to have two titles when the one title they do have is barely contested enough because Britt Baker does not have any solid opponents to feud with the over the title for. Um, you know, besides your Thunder Roses and Chris Statlanders of the world, you know, Ruby Soho's, there are only a dime a dozen of those. You know what I mean? So, I don't know. I felt like the introduction of a secondary women's championship is kind of counterintuitive. But, I think I've changed my tune a little bit as the week went by and I had more time to kind of process this idea here and what they're doing. I, I gotta say, first and foremost, the TBS title bout looks very nice. Dare I say it, the TBS title in a way kind of looks better than the than the main women's championship that's held by Britt Baker. In my opinion, in my opinion, the TBS title, it looks fresh, you know, um, it's got that nice little blue color scheme on the bottom um, and the TBS logo in the center uh, in similar fashion to the TNT title, really, um, but really a very prestigious looking title belt. I must say. And the more that I've had time to think about the introduction of this title and the tournament that will take place to, to crown its inaugural champion, I've come to the conclusion that this title bout could actually be a big benefit for the women's division because it, th there's a way they can do this right where if they kind of unofficially separate the AEW women's title and the TBS title into two different divisions. You know what I'm saying? Like the AEW women's title division should feature the likes of who I mentioned, Britt Baker, Chris Statlander, Ruby Soho, um, and Thunder Rosa. Whereas the TBS championship division could really try and build the women's division further by improving the likes of Jade Cargill, of uh, Sky Blue, who has been a confirmed participant, as I mentioned. Um, of course, I believe Chris Statlander, actually, I didn't mention, but I believe Chris Statlander will also participate in this tournament. Um, don't quote me on that, but I think she is as well. Obviously, she doesn't need much improvement. She is very solid in the ring. Had a fantastic match with Britt Baker at All Out. But the TBS Women's Division, nonetheless, the point is, like I said, it could be used to elevate some of the young scrubs of the Women's Division that can be propelled into, you know, a higher position and ultimately challenge Britt Baker at some point down the line after they advance in the said TBS Division. I gotta say, 
I don't have a I don't have any predictions for how the tournament will go, who will be crowned the first TBS title. I I think my idea originally was Sky Blue. I think Sky Blue would be a great TBS title winner for the first time because it would be a good way to propel her. She is a very very decent in-ring worker from what I've seen. She's got appeal. She's a very good-looking girl. Um, she's got style. I like her style. And her winning the TBS title could also be a way for AEW to kind of capitalize on what ROH is doing with Roxy. I got to say, it's unbelievable that this 19-year-old girl won the Women's Championship in ROH. That is a tremendous accomplishment, and I'm super proud of Roxy. You know, uh, reality of wrestling alumni there. Mad props to Booker T. Um, you know, and Sky Blue kind of reminds me of Roxy in that same way where they, they have she has that youthfulness about her. And to see her carrying a strap around, a, a championship around would be in the in the like of a Roxy holding the title. You know, a young a young girl that's going to become a major player in the game already is by winning that championship. Of course, the TBS title, it's not, you know, the main title in the women's division, but that's why it's perfect for someone like Sky Blue, in my opinion. Um Yeah, it's it's going to be good. And speaking of women's divisions here and women's wrestling in general, April Mendez, a.k.a. or FKA, formerly known as AJ Lee, CM Punk's wife, is indeed returning to wrestling. But it'll be as a non-wrestler for WOW, Women of Wrestling. It's making a return in a big relaunch for them, partnering with CBS Viacom to produce a new television series which will see one Tessa Blanchard as the face of the wrestling show essentially along with AJ being a color commentator for the matches now I surmise to believe that AJ she'll have a she'll wear many hats for the federation perhaps she'll have creative control perhaps she'll have an on-screen role at some point Perhaps as an authority figure or booker of some sort. Of course, none of that is confirmed. That's just what I think. I just feel like they wouldn't be making a big deal out of AJ signing with, with women of wrestling if it's merely just for a commentary role. Um, that's just my opinion. Now, I don't know much about women's of wrestling as a promotion. I know they've been around for a while. I guess they like you know went MIA for a little while I don't know if COVID kind of brought their production to a halt or I don't know what exactly happened but I know they've been around for a while I've heard that name before wow women of wrestling um but I gotta tell you right now their partnership with Viacom CBS is a very big deal I mean I'm talking this is like almost on the same level as as Smackdown getting picked up by Fox. This is a very big deal and I don't think people realize that. You know Viacom they're a big media conglomerate. They own some prop some IPs that you might know such as Nickelodeon, Viacom owns Comedy Central, MTV, um showtime flicks i mean just to name a few you know what i mean they so ain't no telling but you know women's of wrestling it could end up 
that show could end up on any network really because Viacom they're a humongous media conglomerate here in the United States so that's that's very interesting news and it'll be interesting to see if AJ ultimately gets in the ring at some point you know that's that's a whole uh that's a whole nother story in itself obviously there's been speculation of her going to AEW to join her husband CM Punk of course Punk would shoot those rumors down uh rather quickly rather immediately um just a few weeks back in an interview when he was asked that question he said that AJ apparently has a has a messed up neck he, he like repeated that <laughs> he emphasized that he repeated that like three different times like yeah she's got a messed up neck dude it's not happening so that's very interesting now the tessa blanchard stuff now that's a whole nother can of worms right there obviously tessa blanchard has humongous uh controversy going on it's, that's pretty much put her out of action for a whole year and a half now um of course she is a former <laughs> impact wrestling heavyweight champion um in the men's division not the women's division she actually beat a man <laughs> for the title i believe it was sammy callahan if i'm not mistaken i think i i talked about it <laughs> on this podcast uh, early on um really really <clears throat> cringy episodes back in the day well they still are but <laughs> um yeah i don't know um tessa blanchard it, it's gonna be very interesting to see um the reception that she gets from here on out from what i've seen as far as social media goes the twitter machine and whatnot um it hasn't been very good it has not been very good thus far i mean literally in every post that i see of tessa blanchard and uh aj even i mean they they put poor aj there to try to like shield tessa blanchard if you will from any kind of criticism at least that's what it appears to me and yet even still with aj in the picture smiling and hugging tessa blanchard all in the comments everybody like every single comment is like this is not what we wanted we do not want tessa blanchard you know blah 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 whatever you name it you know and and you know what it's justifiable man because i i can't defend tessa blanchard because i've said it before and i'll say it again look in my opinion everybody deserves a chance at some point to redeem themselves but when you have a case like tessa blanchard where she's not taking any responsibility at all um for the things that she's been accused of and i and i i mean i wasn't there i don't have video evidence that tessa blanchard you know said the n-word to I, I believe her name is black rosa a wrestler from the dominican republic i don't have video footage of that that's hearsay that's word of mouth but i don't think five different women are gonna be lying on tessa what for why you know what I mean? When you got five different women, when you got Sienna and you got Marty Bell and you got oh, Black Rosa herself and, and others that I don't remember, Allison K, oh, that's Sienna, right? I don't know. But you have several women. The point is you have several women saying the same thing that Tessa Blanchard not only referred to this woman by the N-word, but also she's has a reputation for being something of a bully backstage that she's kind of uh, hindered the progress 
of some of some ladies in the locker room there for many for various different promotions i suppose indie promotions throughout the country so i don't know you know i understand everyone has the right to redeem themselves and they have the right to defend themselves as well but again when you have like five different people accusing you of the same thing it's kind of at that point it's kind of you don't have any credibility at that point <laughs> you know what i mean it's it's you know come on you know it's it's just one of those things you can't really come back from that when you have this many people accusing you of the same thing and you're gonna deny it you know i can't respect that and i can't i mean she's not even addressing it she addressed it like one time and I believe she said it, too, when she addressed it on Twitter. She was like, this is the last time I'm ever going to talk about this. But it's not true. Everything they're saying is 100% not true and blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, it is what it is, man. I think Tessa Blanchard, if she were smart, I think she would come out and release a statement and apologize. And I mean, she could even do a half-assed apology, too. At least give me that. You know, where she could say, you know, where she could give like a Tommy Dreamer type of apology. You know what I'm saying? Where she could be like, hey, you know what? To whoever I've ever offended, I'm sorry. I don't condone this or that type of thing, that type of behavior. Um, and I'm, I'm very sorry. You know what I mean? She don't even have to admit she was wrong or that she did anything. She could just, like I said, she could do the Tommy Dreamer approach. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Dark side of the ring, you know, and just come out and say, hey. Whoever I may have offended, um, I'm sorry. And I don't condone that type of behavior that you accused me of. <laughs> but I'm sorry for it anyway. If she were smart, if I was her, that's what I would do. She's got to really try and earn the trust and the, I guess, adoration back from the fans. Because, man, Tessa Blanchard is such a talented worker. She really is. I mean, as far as women's wrestling is concerned, she's top-notch. Like, she's up there. She's very talented. So, it remains to be seen. I, I mean, I'm definitely, honestly, I don't, I don't know exactly what channel um, WoW is going to appear on. Because, like I said, Viacom, they own so many networks and so many different properties. I mean, hell, it could be on Nickelodeon for all we know. It could be on Comedy Central. It could be on MTV. We could have a brand new Wrestling Society X. <laughs> if anybody gets that reference. If you know, you know. Cheers to you. Uh, but nonetheless, I will tune in because it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. Sammy Guevara, the brand new TNT champion after dethroning the Redeemer Miro last week on Dynamite. This marks Miro's first ever singles loss as well, which is another distinction for the Spanish god, Sammy Guevara. Now that I think about it, I'm actually not quite sure that was ever mentioned or plugged by the commentators that that was indeed Miro's first ever singles loss. Um, it was a four-month title reign for Miro, who defeated Darby Allin for it on May 12th on an episode of Dynamite. And you know, I was saying for the previous couple of weeks, really, I was saying that I don't mind if Miro drops the TNT strap just so that way this could perhaps propel him on his way to the AEW title. Because Miro, I'm telling you right now, this guy is ready. He is in rare form right now as the big monster man beast type of heel that overpowers his opponents. He's very believable in this role. 
and the promos that he's been cutting. Never mind the, the big monster guy bullshit, but the promos that he's been cutting have been absolutely on fire. And uh, I really liked him as champ. I really did, but I do think the AEW title should definitely be on the horizon for him in the not-too-distant future. I will say, with that said, I think in a way it was kind of not really that great to see him drop the title this soon to Sammy Guevara just because, I mean, it's very evident that Adam Page is on his way to dethrone Kenny Omega come full gear. That's clearly in the cards. I don't need to say it. You know this. Everybody knows this. This is this got to be predictable but in a good way because this is what we've all been wanting, right? This is the the story that's that writes itself. It's a very special story going on. Long-term booking. Something we're not used to when, you know, if you're coming from just watching WWE programming, you know what I'm saying? But so in respect to Adam Page, who definitely deserves to be the guy to dethrone Kenny Omega. I think in the meantime, Miro should have held on to the TNT strap just a little while longer. If it were me, I think at full gear would have been the perfect event for him to drop the TNT title to Sammy, as well as Kenny Omega dropping the title to Adam Page, foreshadowing that perhaps Miro could be the the guy to feud with adam page for that same title um definitely adam page should have a pretty lengthy title reign though um perhaps not as long a title reign as like john moxley or omega but he should have a pretty decent um you know two to three month title reign in my opinion before he drops the strap to either mjf or miro but i'll tell you right now if, if mjf is the guy to take the strap away from adam page that would be <laughs> you want to talk about nuclear heat i mean that would be a very big moment um and establish him as the biggest prick ever you know <laughs> to end that fairy tale ending as well um so yeah that's my thoughts on that let's get into dynamite that happened last week that i did not cover um i'm gonna get into this before i get into um, this week's Dynamite, I'm going to briefly summarize last week. Honestly, besides the aforementioned title bout between Sammy and Miro and the opening bout between Adam Cole, who continues to be insanely over. And speaking of over, Jungle Boy, who continues to show he is in stellar form as well, only getting better and better. I tell you, each new match that I see Jungle Boy in, it seems like he improves massively from the previously from the previous match. I, I, well, that's, that's hyperbole, actually. I don't want to say improves massively. That doesn't even make sense. But what I'm saying is the, the speed at which Jungle Boy is adapting and improving his game, it's unbelievable. This is what I want to see from Jade Cargill. <laughs> because, you know, she's been in the game for a minute as well. And she has not improved at all. She's been improving at a snail's pace. In fact, I said it, I'll say it again. I feel like, if anything, she's degressing instead of progressing. Um, but nonetheless, I, I digress. Um, this, this show was a clusterfuck, man. This show was a clusterfuck. There was a 16-man tag team match. I gotta imagine that that was booked by Negative One. It being a tribute show to Brody Lee and his hometown in Rochester, after all. 
Um, which again, it's a very classy move on AEW's part. But I'm sorry to say, and I hate to be that guy, but this show was not very good. It's not going to go down on my top 10 or even top 20 episodes of Dynamite I've ever seen. The original tribute show to Brody Lee last year was absolute perfection. I will end it there. As for the rampage that followed last week, um, it was equally as bad, <laughs> if not more so, to be quite honest. Actually, yeah, it was it was underwhelming. Um, I mean, even with Brian Danielson on the card, his match with Nick Jackson, it was nothing to write home about. Um, the main event would see Jack Evans get his head shaved after losing to Orange Cassidy. Uh, nobody cares. I didn't care, certainly. I mean, he needed a haircut. <laughs> it wasn't that big of a deal to see him get his head shaved. Um, and that's not the first time. Uh, if I remember reading correctly, Jack Evans has had multiple like hair matches, hair versus mask matches and whatnot during his time in Mexico. Um, I, I don't know if it was AAA or CMLL that he wrestled for, but nonetheless, speaking of nobody cared, Jade Cargill won a three-way bout defeating Thunder Rosa and Nyla Rose. Of course, Nyla Rose would be the one to eat the pin. <laughs> Nyla Rose is essentially a jobber at this point. Um... You know, I know I earlier when I was talking about the TBS title, I suggested that Sky Blue is my pick to win the TBS title bout. Um, even though I know she's not very likely to win it at all. I think the TBS title would also be a good way to kind of resuscitate Nyla Rose's career at this point because she really needs it. She's, um, like I said, she's essentially a jobber. She's not uh, winning any matches. Any matches noteworthy, at least, uh, to my vantage point. I know that she's basically been spending the last couple of years on AEW Dark for the most part. So uh, that's fine. Um, I don't know. Just just throwing that out there. Now for Dynamite this week, let's get into it. Dynamite kicked off with an eight-man tag team match featuring the Super Elite taking on Jurassic Express with Christian Cage and the American Dragon, Brian Danielson. Very fun match overall. There was a botch. During a powerbomb spot, I have to touch on that. The Bucks and Adam Cole lifting up Luchasaurus on a Kenny Omega. And not providing enough leverage, evidently, for Kenny to hold Luchasaurus up. So he just collapsed down with Luchasaurus onto the mat. And Kenny Omega's facial expression here told the story. It was that of frustration, but at the same time, kind of like, oh, well, fuck it. Shit happens. You know, shit happens. Um... That was a fun match there. The Spanish god, Sammy Guevara, defended the newly won TNT strap against one Bobby Fish. Um, now, it is confirmed that Mr. Fish is all elite. So that's an interesting move. He is uh, hes a good hand, I suppose. I mean, it's certainly after watching this bout, I'd never seen him perform before. So it was a nice coming out party for him from my perspective. This was a good match. What can I say? I mean, Bobby Fish kept it nice and simple. He slowed the pace from what Sammy is used to, or from what I'm used to seeing from Sammy. A lot of the WWE guys coming in, I've noticed, are really slowing down the tempo in their matches and showing these kids how it's done. You know, listen, guys, sometimes less is more. I concur. A match doesn't need to be a, a spot fest. 
Doesn't have to have a bunch of crazy spots left and right to be good. I get it. They get those, you know, this is awesome chants from the crowd and whatnot. You're not going to get those kind of chants, you know, this is awesome, you know, during, uh, you know, chin locks and, and hammer locks and hip tosses, you know, I get it. But, you know, sometimes less is more. I'm a firm believer in that. Sometimes less is more. Um, and, you know, I, I, I want to take back the spot fest phrase i don't want to use that phrase because i feel like that's kind of disrespectful to the work these guys do because they are freaking earning their paychecks out there come on you know the way they work whether you want to call it a spot fest or indie riffic or not but i i like that you know they're earning their paychecks but the dynamic of these wwe slash nxt guys coming in like an adam cole like uh malachi black and andrade and now um <clears throat> Bobby Fish, they're slowing down the tempo and they're really selling and they're really, you know, telling a story in that respect. So ultimately, Sammy Guevara retains the TNT title via pinfall victory after hitting his patented GTH finisher. In the post-match, America's top team do a run in beating down Sammy. His best friend, Fuego del Sol, would run in for the save but be overwhelmed by the numbers game until Chris Jericho and Jake Hager come out and clean house. Dan Lambert gets on the mic, and I'm not going to go into specifics of what was said, but they basically set up a tag team match for next week's Dynamite emanating from Miami, Florida. It will be Jericho and Hager taking on Junior Dos Santos and I believe um, Jorge Masvidal. Now that's interesting. That is, um, you know, from what from what I've seen, Junior Dos Santos, he's not looking very good. <laughs> Let's just put it like that. And I respect the guy and everything he's accomplished in MMA. He's a former champ for UFC. Um, but... I don't know, like, just watching him throwing hands with Jericho, he just, he needs to be trained. I don't think he's ready for a tag match, especially if it is indeed with Jorge Masvidal. Um, Jorge Masvidal, it remains to be seen what he can do, because I gotta say, when he delivered that running knee strike to Jericho, he did it very well. He It was safe. He, he executed it smoothly. You know what I mean? Clearly, Jericho was not hurt. Because um, that, that knee to the head, it could really, really do some serious damage. Just watch his fight with Ben Askren. You want to talk about knockout of the year. He knocked Ben Askren out like five seconds into the bell ringing. You hardly, you seldom ever see that in MMA. So, that's going to be interesting if nothing else. I, I really think there's going to be some fuckery. I'm pretty sure men of the year are probably going to run in before the match could even get started and they're going to go all out brawling um and you know and they should be in this match it, sh it shouldn't be junior los santos and jorge masvidal it should be ethan page and scorpio sky taking on jericho and hager um i'm pretty sure we've seen that already though now that i think about it so perhaps that's why they're taking this route it'll be interesting if nothing else the aforementioned TBS title is introduced by Tony Schiavone. I've already covered that. Darby Allen takes on Nick Camarado in an exhibition. This was a kind of a random bout, to be quite honest. But I'm happy to see that Nick Camarado cat get a look. That dude's a genuine beast. 
He has a real throwback, classic, big wrestler look about him. You know, almost like a like a Bruiser Brody type or something. You know what I'm saying? He has that classic throwback, big wrestler look. Like from the 80s and early 90s, you know? Um, nonetheless, Darby Allen goes over in what was a decent showing. QT Marshall would run in and attack Sting, executing a cutter. Sting no-sells the cutter, getting right back up. Of course, he would hit his patented Scorpion Death Drop finisher to close out the segment. So, Darby Allen, they're keeping him busy. They're keeping him busy. I, I don't think he's gonna, you know, feud with the Nightmare Factory now, or, or whatever they're called. I don't know. That remains to be seen. Um, it was kind of weird how they just dropped his little feud with um i guess it was sean spears when Tolly blanchard you know came out and called him out and all that i'm wondering what happened with that i guess they just dropped that and they're just moving darby allen on to different opponents that's kind of cool you know what i mean it's i mean if this was wwe we would have seen darby allen in a rematch with sean spears or whoever else he had wrestled in the last couple of weeks you know what i mean he'd be in a series of rematches rubber matches on free tv you know with shenanigans and the like so it's refreshing and it's definitely refreshing to see nick camarado like i said that i like his look as far as his in-ring work he, he's okay from my vantage point i have to see more of him but he definitely just based off of looks like on a jade cargill level he has a superstar look sort of you know i mean he's he's a big dude he's he's a grizzly bear you know he looks like a a beast and you know, imagine Nick Camarado with in a program with Miro at some point down the line. You know what I'm saying? Like two semi-trucks colliding. That'll be something to see. Dante Martin sets up a match with Malachi Black as he cuts a promo saying he's been a problem for everybody lately. And, they, and he will take on anyone, anytime. The lights go dark. And one Malachi Black is standing in the ring when the lights come back on. And he spits his black mist into the eyes of Dante Martin. And nails him with the Sin Eater finishing maneuver. He grabs a microphone and proclaims the House of Black accepts. You know, this Dante Martin kid... Uh, I'm, I'm just being Captain Obvious here when I say this. But this kid is incredible. And he definitely has a bright future. He really, Dante Martin kind of gives me OG Rey Mysterio vibes. You know, like when I was a kid watching Rey Mysterio and seeing the amazing things he would do in WCW, it was all inspiring to me as a kid. And now here in 2021, I'm imagining kids today perhaps in seeing Dante Martin in that same light because he definitely awestrucks me every time I see him do I mean the hang time he gets when he does his dives when he does top rope maneuvers and the speed and agility this kid has I'll tell you what Dante Martin versus Darby Allen at some point that'll be one to see the speed in the ring oh my god you will not be able to keep up that'll be a crazy match at some point down the line but for now it is very clear that AEW also sees some investment in this kid for the future. And they're putting investment into him. They're, they're pushing him, obviously putting him in a match with Malachi Black. It is pertinent to note that Dante Martin is usually a tag team wrestler. Um, his brother is injured. 
Um, I, it says I think his brother's name is Darius. <laughs> Don't quote me on that. I'm I'm you know I'm actually new to the top flight experience. You know what I'm saying? I I never really followed them, but I know they've been around. I think in MLW and on the Indies, but. I'm not too familiar with these guys, but Dante Martin has really shown me a lot uh, in the little bit that I've seen him, in the little time that I've seen him. But he is he is typically a tag team wrestler. So it'll be interesting to see going forward when his brother returns from injury, his tag team partner returns from injury, um, if they continue or if they just keep Dante in a singles path because he's shining bright right now as a singles competitor. I don't expect him to get much offense in on Malachi Black next week. To be quite honest, Malachi Black is a whole other level, obviously. Again, being Captain Obvious here. Um, but it will be interesting nonetheless. And I wonder where they're going with this. Um, to be quite honest, I'm actually very interested in the dynamic right now between Cody and and Armed Anderson. Armed Anderson. NRA is armed, spelled backwards. Oh man, I yeah, I've seen all the memes. I myself have also indulged in sharing some of the memes on my Instagram page, Lalo underscore thr on the gram and the Twitter. They made a t-shirt out of Arn Anderson with a Glock and everything. My goodness, I got to get my hands on that t-shirt. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm very interested in the Cody-Arn Anderson dynamic. Um, and hoping it's, you know... I'm hoping Cody turns heel and actually aligns with Malachi Black. Call me crazy, but I can see that happening. Imagine that, Cody... You know, coming out in his three-piece suit, but except it's all black. And he does paint a star over his eye, but it's... You know, it doesn't look corny like WWE. It looks really kind of dark, like esoteric. You know, like in the style of an Aleister Black. And he starts, you know, teaming up with Malachi Black. That I, I mean, that's something I would book. <laughs> you know what I mean? Play Fantasy Booker, T-E-W. That's something I would book. Nonetheless... Ricky Starks and Brian Cage build to their matchup that'll take place on Rampage, which I'll get into in a second. Hikaru Shida takes on Serena Deeb in what is being billed as a potential 50th victory for Shida, who will hold the distinction of being the first talent ever in AEW to win 50 singles matches. She did not win. <laughs> and this was the right call. This was the correct call because... You know, they actually brought out the plaque that said 50th victory milestone, you know, and it was being presented on TV ahead of the match. I think even JR, like, sarcastically commented, oh, they're very confident, you know, for them to already make a plaque for her and everything, you know, for the 50th victory. So if she would have won, that would have been corny as hell. Like, you know, come on. That's too predictable. Y'all show us the plaque, and then, of course, she wins. So as I was watching, I was getting ready to like write in my notes and shit all over it. But of course, they were intelligent and they had Serena Deeve win the match. And it was the right call. As I said, the match itself was solid. Nothing really to write home about. Of course, in the post-match, Serena Deeb nailed Sheeta with said 50th victory milestone award plaque thing, setting up a potential program between the two. And this is a nice injection into AEW's women's division, especially with the TBS title now being introduced and all. 
Um, this is a perfect addition of ingredients there in my view. Um, in fact, now that I think about it, actually Hikaru Shida would be a very, very good um, inaugural TBS title winner, a title cha uh, champion, title holder, damn it. <laughs> That's the word I'm looking for. Um, yeah, Hikaru Shida or Serena Deeb for that matter. Actually, they're perfect for the TBS title now that I think about it. So there you have it. AEW, they're really trying to do something with their women's division. That has long been one of the critical points of AEW that most, most people criticize them for. The women's division being kind of lackluster, kind of weak. Most especially when you compare it to... Like the women's division of WWE, for an example, or um, yeah, well, mostly WWE. Um, but you know, they're trying something, and apparently MJF is trying something with Darby Allen. He challenges Darby to a match on next week's Dynamite. I don't even remember this actually. I have this here in my notes, um, but I don't even remember this. Uh, I hope I'm not giving like false news here <laughs> but because i don't remember that at all but mjf apparently challenges darby allen to a match next week so they are the pillars right mjf mentioned it in his promo right it's darby mjf sammy uh and who am i forgetting who am i forgetting i'll tell you what Jungle Boy. Jungle Boy. That's the <laughs> the fourth pillar I was forgetting there. Uh yeah, you know what? Um I I really love that AEW is really trying to work their originals, if you will. I mean I listen, like you know, guys like MJF and Darby and Sammy and Jungle Boy for that matter. I know they came from the indies. I know this. But to me, they are AEW originals in my mind. Because that's where they made their name. That's where they really shined bright. They didn't shine bright in no indie indie feds. You know what I mean? MJF, I do remember him on MLW. I'll concede that. Um, I suppose if you want to consider him <laughs> an MLW original. But hey, MJF himself says that he is one of the pillars of AEW and I agree and I like that in spite of Adam Cole and Malachi Black and Andrade and Miro and, and now um, Bobby Fish even and Brian Danielson of course Punk all these cats coming in but yet AEW is not discarding their pillars they're still working them they're still putting them in programs so this is very good and you know what? We'll see what happens between MJF and Darby because I don't have a clue. I, I really think that MJF should be situated to be a top contender for the AEW championship. It's interesting because on Instagram, AEW has posted the updated rankings for their titles and MJF is nowhere to be found um, on the rankings. So I actually have the rankings right here. So as of October 8th, the AEW rankings are as follows. Ranked number one is, of course, the Hangman Adam Page after winning that ladder match to determine a number one contender. At number two, ranked is Orange Cassidy. At number three, ranked is John Moxley. At number four, ranked is Lance Archer. That's that's interesting. Um, okay. And at number five, 
Miro, the Redeemer, God's favorite champion. I'm telling you right now, man. That's that's a guy right there. That is the guy. I don't know if um if I was the man with the pen in AEW, I don't know if I would set up MJF to take the title away from Adam Page or if it'll be Miro to be the one to do it. I know obviously if MJF did it, that would be way more of an explosion of heat, you know, because he's just such a, a dislikable heel right now, a hateable heel right now. Whereas Miro, even though he is a heel, like everybody sees it, man, that he's just in rare form right now. And he's pretty badass, so it's kind of hard to, you know what I mean? So yeah, now that I think about it, MJF, I believe he should be the guy positioned to take the strap away from adam page but as you as you heard the rankings he's nowhere to be found on the rankings so that's interesting of course that can change on a dime they can set up another one of them ladder matches or something you know and leo rush this is gonna be a good talking point because i did not get to discuss this lbo leo proclaims he wants to manage dante martin and take him to new heights okay because you, you did that very well with Bobby Lashley, right? <laughs> so, obviously, Leo Rush debuted on the previous Dynamite. I, I did not cover that. Um, and I, I'm very confused right now with his gimmick. Because, to me, isn't like that Money Mark gimmick, isn't that Matt Hardy's thing right now? With the Hardy family office. So, I was really taken aback when I seen that, um, you know, and listen, listen, Leo Rush, I mean, I know everybody's like making fun of him on, on social media, you know, like talking about how he's retired multiple times. Um, but listen, this guy really is talented, man. This Leo Rush kid is really, really talented. I don't think people realize that. You know, you could make fun of him all you want and say, oh, he's he's been known to be a problem, uh, a troublemaker and this and that. But, you know, that's that's hearsay from WWE, first of all. And second of all, he is very, very talented, man. He is a talented dude, um, which is really what's confusing me the most about why they'd give a talented cat like Leo this money mark you know what stock trader or whatever lbo leo like i don't understand that that this this came way out of left field to me um you know that that's i mean again that to me that seems like it's matt hardy's gimmick and they're packaging leo with it perhaps this could be a, a way that they get matt hardy out of that gimmick and make him broken matt again <laughs> and i guess leo is the successor to the hardy family office shtick um but it's also interesting that now he's talking about wanting to to manage dante martin that's another thing that came out of left field to me as well um you mean to tell me that tony khan talked this guy out of retirement and signed him to a contract so he can be a manager so he can be an advocate a mouthpiece for a young stud like dante martin come on man leo's not even that great on the microphone he's not like I mean, his his mic skills, if you will, are nothing to write home about. Um, really, what's what's most impressive about Leo is his in-ring work. But it's interesting to see that they are trying to push Dante Martin very hard. As you can see, you know what I mean? He had his, his whole thing with, with Malachi Black. 
Um, and now you have Leo saying he wants to manage him. Um, so it, it's very interesting. Very interesting. But yeah, this this Leo Rush character right now, LBO Leo. Um, very uh random to me to give him this gimmick. It's something that I, I can't help but think that he came up with. You know what I mean? Like maybe he's the one who pitched this to Tony Khan. Perhaps this was a condition of him signing a contract. Like, hey, let me um, form my own character and gimmick. And Tony was like, all right, all right. Sign your name on the dotted line. You can do what you want, kid. I just want to see you put on good matches. And there you have it. And he comes up with this very bland, very basic. We've seen it a hundred times. JBL. You know, the the wrestling god. And he'd come out, you know, with the stock trader options and figures showing in his Titantron. And, you know, Million Dollar Man and now Hardy Family Office. And now we have LBO Leo. So it's one of those gimmicks. You've seen it a dime a dozen. Perhaps he can do something different with it. Only time will tell. Now here's the real enchilada. The main event, the casino ladder match featuring John Moxley, Andrade El Idolo, Matt Hardy, Lance Archer, Pac, and the Joker, which would be revealed to be one cowboy shit himself, Adam Page. Adam Page, of course, is the winner of this bout. I'm not going to run down the specifics of the match except that one crazy ass spot where Adam freaking Page nailed an air raid siren off the freaking ladder onto Pack. I'm not even sure if it was an air raid siren. Um, I, actually, it wasn't. It was. I forgot what the name of the move is, but just imagine the, basically like an air raid siren kind of off of a freaking ladder onto a table. A very dangerous maneuver. And, and the spot looked just as spectacular as it looked dangerous. And in other words, nasty. My goodness, what a spot. I, I was really worried about Pac um, when I initially seen it. But of course, because he, I mean, the way he fell, like it looked like he had very little time to actually shift his body so that he falls on his back and not on his freaking head and break his neck. I mean, if he fell on his on his head, he probably would have died from that spot. Let's just put it like that. You know, I know I do a lot of hyperbole here on this podcast. I, I'm very dramatic, but <laughs> but I'm, I'm serious when I say like this was a very dangerous spot that could have ended very, very badly. Um, but you got two pros in there, man. What can I say? He managed to to shift his body on time in such a short time, really such a short window of time, man. Which made it all the more spectacular and and nerve-wracking to watch. Um, Matt Hardy did his patented leg drop off a ladder to Orange Cassidy. That was cool to see. Very throwback. Andrade even got in a crazy spot early on in the match when he did that sunset flip bomb off the ladder. I, th I believe that was on pack as well. <laughs> so... Pack is just goddamn. He's earning his paycheck, man. You know what I'm saying? Stop missing your flights, man. Stop going back to the UK and missing pay-per-views. This is what happens. Now you're gonna get buried, bro. <laughs> you're gonna get, eat all these nasty spots. So, what a match on free TV, man. That's all I gotta say. And overall, Dynamite was dope. Much better than the previous week, if I don't say so myself. I don't know what they were doing with the previous week. I get it. It's a Brody Lee tribute thing because they're in his hometown and whatnot. But yeah, that wasn't it. 
That wasn't it, Chief. I'm going to tell you right now. This Dynamite was far superior. A much better episode that was entertaining. It had a lot of moments. It had a lot of good stuff. Um, a lot of character building here. We're seeing, again, we're seeing the shifting of storylines and angles. We got MJF and Darby now doing something. We got LBO Leo trying to be a mouthpiece now for Dante Martin, among other things. And, of course, Adam Cole is just so freaking... He's so freaking over, man. It is it is a sight to see. And when you hear the eruption of the Adam Cole, baby, every time he does his shtick, you know, during his entrance, it is something to see, man. It's something to hear, rather. Um, very good episode. Let's get into Rampage that popped off last night. CM Punk and Daniel Garcia kick off the show. But before we get to watch the match, we get the traditional screen-by-screen -screen interview with Mark Henry, usually set up before the main event. So right off the bat, this feels different. It hits different. An interesting way to start the show. Um, and Punk, he says he didn't come back to wrestling. Wrestling came back to him. I loved that. Um... CM Punk also would tell Daniel Garcia and 2.0, you try to jump me in Chicago, I'm going to end it in Philadelphia. So, yeah, 2.0 and Daniel Garcia, they are a thing, and it's good to see them back. They've been kind of MIA the last few weeks. Um, and I, I got to tell you, man, before I get into the details of this match, I really want to see Daniel Garcia more. This guy is incredible, man. He, he really reminds me... Of a modern day version of, of Dean Malenko. I mean, even the way he looks, he kind of looks like him a little bit. I mean, sort of. <laughs> I, I don't know, but he's he's a real throwback technical wrestler. Like a Dean Malenko, like a Chris Benoit, like a Lance Storm type. That's the vibes I get from this Daniel Garcia kid. And that's what's, you know what? Now that I think about it, that's what's been missing in wrestling, man. That's what's been missing for a while now. Is like a good throwback technical wrestler. You know what I'm saying? Like man of a thousand holds, Dimalinko type. Just a technical dude who's just constantly working on the on the body part, doing all these holds and takedowns, and you know what I mean? That's what's been missing in wrestling, man. I mean, I don't know. I haven't watched WWE in a long time, so I don't know if they got somebody like that on there doing that. But yeah, that's that's a. Uh, it, it's nice to see that again. And CM Punk and Daniel Garcia, they lock up as the crowd chants for CM Punk. Of course, Excalibur would claim on commentary, Philadelphia is proving to be CM Punk country. And I love that. It proves that Punk isn't just a big draw in Chicago, but all over the country, all over the world. CM Punk has Garcia in a bridge hold and then goes for a pin. Garcia kicks out. Punk takes down Garcia with... An excellent shoulder tackle, and this causes Garcia to take a step back and think about his next course of action. Punk takes Garcia down and has a heel lock, and Garcia grabs the ropes right away. Good ring generalship. Punk slaps Garcia and scoops up Garcia for multiple body slams. Um, Garcia begins working on the knee. Garcia distracts the referee, Bryce Remsburg, which allows 2.0 to attack CM Punk via distraction. They head out of for their first picture-in-picture -picture commercial break. Love those. 
We return from the break with Daniel Garcia working the leg of CM Punk. Garcia goes for a pin attempt. However, Punk kicks out. Garcia is working on the right knee of Punk. Punk makes it back up and delivers multiple shoulders into the gut of Garcia. Garcia goes for a big drop kick and Daniel misses and lands on the back of his head. Garcia and Punk are exchanging multiple strikes. Punk hits Garcia with a roundhouse kick. Love to see it. Next, Punk hits Garcia with a neck breaker and then a rising knee strike. Punk hits Garcia with a short arm clothesline and follows it up with a Pepsi twist. I love seeing that move there. Real throwback to his ROH days. Punk calls for the go to sleep. Garcia counters and has CM Punk in the sharpshooter. Gra uh, Punk grabs the ropes, however. Garcia pulls him back and Garcia takes out both members of 2.0 on accident. Punk ultimately wins the bout via submission victory using the anaconda vice you love to see it i haven't seen the anaconda vice in a long time and this i mean somebody some nerd out there has to have the stats here because that's got to be the first time that punk wins a match with the anaconda vice in a very long time i think even in his last year with wwe i don't think he ever used that move anymore uh, certainly i don't remember if he did so that was very cool to see man you gotta love it and uh same thing with um darby allen man they're keeping punk busy it's interesting to see him you know work in different dynamics wrestling different i really thought he was being set up to feud with uh with ricky starks after his bout with will hobbs so i was kind of taken aback by this matchup here um with daniel garcia but nonetheless you know hey you don't want to rush things right AEW, they take their time they let things marinate it's long-term booking daddy something we're not used to if you came from wwe like me you know watching their stuff so we cut to a backstage promo featuring albio leo with dante martin and matt seidel in tow apparently this is is setting up a match between Punk and Matt Seidel because apparently Albio Leo has uh, creative control. <laughs> I guess. I mean, he, he's, he's over here booking matches. Um, I guess that was another one of the conditions uh, he made to sign a contract with AEW, perhaps. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so, CM Punk versus Matt Seidel next week on Rampage. I mean, I, I'm not going to complain about seeing more Punk. It's a very random match, though. Nonetheless, the acclaimed take on Lucha Bros for the Tag Team Championships. Now, I don't know if the acclaimed are number one ranked uh, tag team contenders. Um, I'm not sure what they did to earn title shots. But again, again, I'm not going to complain. You know, I, I love the acclaimed and I love Lucha Bros. And to see these studs in the ring doing their thing, it's you love to see it. And I can't wait to see these cats shine bright as champs one day, speaking on the part of the acclaim. Nonetheless, the match begins with Penta, El Cerro Miedo, and Anthony Bowens. The Lucha Bros controls the match right after hitting multiple moves on Bowens and Max Caster. Penta hits Caster with an excellent stereo kick. However, he drops down with a quick DDT. Bowens hits Penta with a running knee strike. The Acclaimed are now working together and controlling the match. The Acclaimed, um, they're controlling the match. They make mistakes, however, and Penta makes them pay by transitioning the attack into a double DDT. Ray Phoenix is the legal man now. 
He hits Caster with a nice stunner. Phoenix hits Bowens and Caster with an excellent double cutter. Bowens hits Phoenix with a rolling elbow strike. Caster attempts to end it with the boom mic. Um, and Phoenix knocks him off the top rope. The Lucha Bros end it with assisted fear factor on Anthony Bowens to get the victory. So, Lucha Bros are steady proving that they can have a good match with pretty much any tag team, even if they're green like the Acclaimed. Uh, and in spite of the Acclaimed being green, I enjoy seeing them, man. Uh, they, they, I love how Max Caster referenced Arn, <laughs> Armed Anderson in his rap. That got a huge pop out of me. Because, um, I mean, oh my god, the memes and everything surrounding Arn have been freaking hilarious. Um, like I said, I've indulged in it myself and shared some of them on Instagram. Lalo underscore T-H-R. That's L-A-L-O underscore T-H-R. Um, give me them likes, man. Give me them follows. I could definitely use them. Um, <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, yeah, man. Um, where do Lucha Bros go from here? I really... It's got to be proud and powerful at full gear. And that's clearly what's going to happen. But, you know, again, AEW takes their time. They let things marinate. They don't rush into programs. They don't overexpose their guys. This is how you book good wrestling. You know what I mean? Jade Cargill with Smart Mark Sterling goes one-on-one -on -one with Sky Blue. And Jade goes over. Uh, Thunder Rosa does a run-in on Jade Cargill in the post match so sky blue man she's one of the the talents that i suggested could per potentially be the first inaugural um tbs champion um you know I, I know she's young i know she's green but i see a future for her certainly and perhaps it's not a good idea maybe but hey man she did what she can to make jade cargill look presentable jade cargill is just terrible in the ring man I'm sorry to say, you know, as I do this podcast, I'm trying hard to be like a, like an unbiased, uh, fair, like journalist, if you will. Like, you know, I, I write down a lot of notes and I watch these matches with, with, um, not just as a fan, but also having this podcast. I also watch as, a. I don't know. I mean, kind of like a journalist, I guess you can say. Like, I review the matches, man, you know, and that's that's my job as a host here. Um, and I want to like Jade Cargill. I really do. I want to like her. Um, but it's difficult because she's just not good at all in the ring, man. You know, I compared her to Batista, like a female version of OG Batista when he was coming up. But um, Batista has steady improved over the years. Because when he first started, he was almost Jade Cargill bad. Like, he was really bad himself. And then look what he did. Eventually, of course, he became champ. And, and he even carried the company a little bit. At least when he was on SmackDown, you know, carried that brand on his shoulders. Um, you know, after Eddie passed and everything. So, Jade Cargill... She, She's taking a long time, though, to progress. That's what I'm getting at. She's been with AEW for, what, almost two years now? Um, has it been two years? I don't know. Um, but she's, instead of improving, instead of progressing, it seems like she's digressing or degressing. I don't know <laughs> the word I'm looking for. Like, she's, she's not getting better. She's getting worse, man. You know, from my vantage point. So that's not good. AEW has spent a lot of money on her. They put a lot of money into her. 
um, it was interesting. I actually, <laughs> regrettably, I will shamefully admit that I, I watch Roads to the Top <laughs> because I like the dynamic of seeing AEW backstage, seeing the inner workings, if you will. That's the main reason I watch it. I can give a shit less about baby showers and, and Cody and Brandy's romantic life as a, as a married couple. Um, I, I watch for the, you know, for the AEW stuff. And it was interesting because in the episode that I watched, I'm not sure if it was the, the, the debuted episode or the second one, but Red Velvet actually complained to Brandy Rhodes that Jade Cargill was working stiff on her and, and legitimately hurt her with like a slap to the face. Um, and it's funny because as I'm watching that, I'm like, exactly. <laughs> like, that's what I see from Jade Cargill. When I watch her wrestle matches, not just with Red Velvet, but with any everybody that I've seen her with, not so much that she's stiff, but it, it first of all, it looks like she doesn't even know how to take a bump. I, I have yet to see Jade Gar Cargill take a bump, and if I have seen her take a bump, it, it was forgettable because I don't remember, clearly. Um, she needs work. They need to send her to the Nightmare Factory. Um, she needs to train. She needs to hone her craft because, again, it does not seem like she's getting any better. It seems like after a year with AEW, she's actually gotten worse. And that is not good. No bueno. So, Thunder Rosa deserves better than to be feuding with Jade Cargill. That's all I got to say about that. Philadelphia gets a Philly street fight. How apropos for the FTW Championship as Ricky Starks defends it against Brian Cage. And listen, the FTW Championship, it's not, obviously, it's not an official championship. You know, there is no rankings for it. There is no, I don't know. It's not part of the AEW ecosystem of titles, you know. But I do understand the history of it. It is, uh, it was Taz's deal, you know, in ECW and, and the, the identity that they had, that fuck the world identity. You know what I mean? They were their own thing. It was them versus the world. That was the mentality. So in that respect, I will say that it's very, very cool to see the FTW title being defended and stuff. And in a weird way, I kind of think that it should become like an official title for AEW. I mean, listen, they introduced a secondary women's title, which is kind of baffling to me when their men's roster right now is so freaking massive it bloated to be quite honest the men's roster warrants a secondary title more so than the women's division and that's just a fact that's that's not even my opinion that's a fact just based off of the numbers here you know look at the size of the women's division and then look at the size of the men's division it don't make no sense so in that respect, I kind of want to see the FTW championship kind of become like an official thing in a way. And I'm not a big fan of that hardcore stuff, but hey, it'll be a distinction. You know, guys like John Moxley could go after that title belt. They could bring Nick Gage back to go for that title belt. They could um, do some cool things. So, you know, I, mean, I suppose they could bring back uh, Suzuki Goon. To vie for the FTW title. It has that moniker, right? Fuck the world. It's got that attitude. It's a hardcore belt. Um, in the end, I really want to see... I really want to uh, really see um, the trios titles. You know? And I know I'm, I'm, I'm going off on a tangent here. I don't have any specifics for Brian Cage and Starks. 
Um, I didn't really take much notes on this match. I, I did watch it and I did pay close attention. Starks actually finished the match with his finisher, lifting Cage up on his shoulders and everything. That was a sight to see. Um, but yeah, I, I want to see trios titles introduced to AEW. I think they're more than ready for it. They have enough teams. They have enough trios, you know, if you will, enough three-man uh, groups to vie for those. As for Ricky Starks and Brian Cage, once again, um, you know, Ricky Starks, I say it like every week. I don't understand the hype behind this guy. You know what I mean? Like, he's really really hyped up i i've seen people compare this guy to the rock and that i don't see at all i mean his his in-ring work from what i watched last night was was solid it was very solid but it, it's not like i can, i see him as being the next big thing in professional wrestling you know what i mean i don't i'm look, listen everybody has seen something that i'm not you know, and, and I don't know what that is. I guess there's some kind of intangible that Ricky Starks has. He has that it factor, I suppose. I don't see it. Everyone else does. I don't. So hey, that's just me. Overall, this was the most solid episode of Rampage in a while. Um, you know, tape shows are always going to be seen as a downgrade from a live flagship show. But this episode showed you that a tape show can still be entertaining and feel important. And it's definitely an episode worth watching. Two thumbs up. So how's this for interesting tweets of the week? I got a big one for you guys. Tony Khan says he can't wait for AEW Rampage to beat WWE's flagship show. Of course, referring to SmackDown. It was announced that SmackDown next week will go on an extra 30 minutes. This obviously means SmackDown is going to overlap with AEW Rampage. And I got to tell you, although this is SmackDown's go-home show for Saudi Blood Money 4 or whatever, I can't help but feel like this move was a deliberate attack from WWE to AEW. I mean, call me a mark, call me a conspiracy theorist, call me whatever you want, but answer me this. When is the last time SmackDown ever went 30 minutes over their allotted time? When? I'll wait. I don't, I don't think I've ever seen that ever in SmackDown's history, to be quite honest with you. So this is interesting to say the least. Now, Khan would tweet, quote unquote, saw you're doing a half hour head to head with us. I can't wait to finally beat your main show head to head. It's been a long time coming. See you next Friday for hashtag AEW Rampage at AEW Rampage on TNT. A fan would actually tweet back at Tony Khan saying, quote unquote, Tony, worry about your own show. To which Tony Khan would actually reply to the tweet saying, quote unquote, I already announced the hashtag AEW Rampage card for live next Friday and it's straight fire, chief. You know, man, I get what Tony Khan is trying to do. And he said it. He actually said it. I, I did not uh, copy and paste the tweet here uh, to, to talk about it in depth, you know, and read it exactly. But he did basically say that he wants to recreate 
the competitive nature of 90s pro wrestling between WCW and WWE. Um, except he does not want to make the same mistakes WCW made. Now, I, I get all that, but let's be real here, man. I, I mean, I, I gotta say it. I gotta say it. To me, this feels very juvenile. This feels very, like, immature on Tony Khan's part, bro. I, I just gotta say it. And I'm a big AEW mark. You know what I mean? That's pretty well established. That's all I cover on this freaking podcast. You know, when I first started this podcast two years ago, obviously, I, I try to cover everything. I try to cover Raw, SmackDown, AEW's programming, WWE pay-per-views, AEW pay-per-views, and even boxing. Which I'm actually going to talk about boxing a little bit in this episode later on. But nowadays, I'm just AEW exclusive just because I cannot sit through WWE shows. And I really can't. And I've tried. I've tried, guys. And I can't do it. Um, and it. And it is a lot of work. You know, I'm going to tell you right now, this podcasting stuff, if anybody listening out there, <laughs> all, all 10 of you, all 15 of you, um, if any one of you ever want to get into podcasting, I'm going to tell you right now, it's not easy. You know, this this is, uh, I mean, I do it as a hobby, you know, but even, even doing it as a hobby, it's still like a lot of work. You know, you got to actually watch the programs. You got to take notes. You got to have a, a an interesting take. You got to separate yourself because there's so many wrestling podcasts out there in the other. It's it's insane. Like everybody and their grandmama has a wrestling podcast now. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's very difficult. As a matter of fact, I'm I'm gonna level with you. You know, last week the main reason I took a hiatus, I gotta be honest, I actually reviewed the episode of Dynamite last week, but I I I had to update my laptop and I thought I saved all of my notes and the script and everything. I mean, it must have been like freaking ten pages long. And when I updated my laptop, it was all gone. It was all deleted. So then I said, fuck it. You know what? I'm just going to cover Rampage and I'll briefly run through Dynamite. Kind of like I did with this episode, you know, where I just kind of briefly ran through it. I was going to do that with Rampage. But then I get an email right when I'm sitting down, you know, and, and getting ready to type and getting ready to write the script and the notes for that episode. I get an email telling me. That my my company that I work for is going out of business. Uh, so come November, I'm going to be out of a job. <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I said, you know what? This day has just been bananas. I, I'm just going to take a hiatus. Okay. So, and the reason I'm telling you that is because I, I just can't stress enough that, you know, podcasting is not easy. It's not as easy as you might think. Like, I thought... It would be fun and easy, and it is. It's fun. It's I love this. You know, this is um, a hobby of mine. I love talking about wrestling. Um, I have one wrestling buddy that I talk to. That's it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I don't really tell people that I'm a wrestling fan, to be honest. <laughs> Can you blame me? I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, God bless. You know, good luck to you. Anybody out there who's thinking about getting into this podcasting stuff it's not easy man that's all i'm gonna say i have a newfound respect for cats like jd and sala monster and and cronin and going in raw and all those cats i have a newfound respect for them because this is not an easy thing to do um but nonetheless i i digress big time um <laughs> where was i at 
Um, yeah, so I try to cover everything in the beginning, but I can't sit through WWE stuff no matter how much I try. I just cover AEW, and I'm a big fan. I'm a fanboy. I'm a mark for AEW. I freaking subscribe to their crate. I'm going to be getting the All Elite crate like every, I don't know, three months or whatever it is. Um, yeah, I'm that, I'm that, I'm one of those guys. So <laughs> even with that said, Tony Khan is being really immature here with these tweets, man. It's not a good look. You're like, you're a CEO, bro. You're the president of AEW, you know, and I really liked the, I guess the mission statement in the beginning where they would, they would proactively claim that AEW is not trying to compete with WWE. They're just trying to be their own thing, their own entity, and create their own little world. And I loved that idea. But now it seems like they completely discarded that. And now you have Tony Khan, you know, the, the commander-in-chief, with his Twitter fingers. Talking about, oh, it's been a long, long time coming. I can't wait to beat your flagship show and stuff like that. Like, come on, bro. Like, that's, that's not a good look, in my opinion. In my opinion. I, I just, you know, that's just me. Uh, maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, I don't know. But I, I just feel like, I mean, it's one thing if a wrestler comes out and says something like that. Or if some of the talents. Um, but when you actually have the business guy, the commander-in-chief of the product, of the whole show that we love so much, come out and talk reckless like that on Twitter, you know... I don't know, you know, to me that it just, it's not a good look. Interesting, but not a good look. It remains to be seen what happens um, next Friday when Rampage does compete with SmackDown. SmackDown obviously is a live show. Rampage is taped. Ironically, now that I think about it, ironically, Rampage is basically what smackdown used to be back in the in the in the old days like in the early 2000s uh when smackdown was in itself a tape show of course it was always two hours but it was also a tape show and you get that same feeling when you watch rampage it's almost like the og smackdown when it was taped and i remember like you know the room the the spoilers and stuff that would be all over the internet world um, you know, spoiling SmackDown's cards, its results and whatnot. So it's interesting to see that. Only time will tell what happens come Friday, y'all. Rampage versus SmackDown for 30 minutes at least. <laughs> um, and incidentally, in that 30 minutes that SmackDown is going overtime, I believe uh, Sasha Banks uh, and I believe Bianca Belair are slated. To have a matchup. It's Sasha Banks against somebody. Either Bianca or... Becky, I suppose. I don't know. But it's a big women's match nonetheless. Featuring Sasha. I'm sorry. I don't watch WWE anymore. I really don't. Um, so, it'll be interesting. Obviously, Rampage. We have the Junior Dos Santos. <laughs> Jorge Masvidal tag bout with Jericho and Hager. Um, MJF versus Darby Allin, I believe, is popping off. And Malachi Black, Dante Martin. I believe that's the card for Rampage next Friday. So we'll see what happens. I thought this would be interesting to talk about. 
Dominic Mysterio says that his school teachers, when he was in 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 like elementary school, they actually were curious if there was actually a custody battle over him. <laughs> During an interview with Ryan Satin, Dominic would say, "quote unquote." I would come back to school and all the teachers would be curious on like what's my home life like because they didn't know if my dad was Eddie or not um if and if there was an actual custody battle going going on for me between Eddie Guerrero and and my real dad Rey Mysterio so some of the teachers had to pull my mom aside or my dad when they would come pick me up and ask them what's the deal because they didn't think it was healthy <laughs> <laughs> Dominic, as a kid, was also worried about exactly what would happen if Eddie Guerrero had won the match. Because apparently, he, he he legit thought that he'd be going home with Eddie if he won. <laughs> oh man, it's just funny to me because even as a teenager, when I seen that angle and that whole thing unfold, you know, with Eddie and and Ray Ray back in the day. You know, now that I think about it, I think that was like, I think that was like the last major feud that Eddie had too before he passed away. If I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong about that, but it, that's just what I'm thinking. But nonetheless, as a teenager watching that, I remember thinking to myself that this this is so ridiculous, and this kid is gonna be really fucked up like when he grows up. Like, is he gonna know like that was an act? So we've come full circle. I've come full circle reading this story here. That yeah, as a kid, he, you know, his his actual teachers didn't, you know, they were concerned for him, and he was concerned that he'd be going home with Eddie Guerrero if Eddie won the ladder match for <laughs> for custody over him. <laughs> I'm your papi. Oh man, that is great. That is great stuff. The last news piece here before I get into some box and talk, if you guys will um, be interested in that, I want to talk about The Rock appearing on Tech Nine's brand new album in a track known as Face Off. I'm actually going to forward through the track and I'm gonna play The Rock's verse. If y'all want to hear The Rock rap, do y'all want to hear The Rock rap? I certainly do, just to hear him spit. I don't know if he's got it or not. Let's find out, y'all. I'm gonna play the track right now. The Rock on Tech Nine's brand new album in the track called Face Off. Let's hear it. No, it's about drive, it's about power. We stay hungry, we devour. Put in the work, put in the hours, and take what's ours. Like in some more in my veins, my culture banging with strange. I change the game, so what's my motherfucking name? Defamation, if you want to bring it to the masses Face to face, now we escalating When I have to put loose asses Mean on you, like a dream when I'm rumbling You're gonna scream, mama So bring drama to the king, brama Then watch with extreme mana Thank you, brother Tech Nine Thank you, Terramana One take, that's a wrap Face off Face off <laughs> all right there you have it the barama bull daddy the rock spitting some bars i never thought i'd see the day that was cool man that was really really cool and i gotta say you know what 
um, as he said in the track and I, in, in several articles, they've been saying it as well, that supposedly The Rock did this rap in one take. That's it. One take. And, um, you know, he didn't. Well, I'm, I'm assuming that he rehearsed and everything, I would imagine. But just for him to make a debut on a track with a big superstar like Tech 9 who's really dope and who could really rap. Like, I mean, he's got flows. He could really rap. Not like none of these these weirdo mumble rappers these days, right? That came from SoundCloud and all that trash. Like, Tech 9 is, is a real OG who could really rap. And The Rock, for him making his debut and supposedly that being one take, that was it. Uh, that's impressive. I gotta say it. That's very impressive. Is, is there anything The Rock can't do? I mean, Jesus Christ. I, I'm really, like... I have half a mind to believe that The Rock is not human, man. Like, he's he's a freaking android, you know? Like, he's a, one of them humanoid uh, AIs. Like, Elon Musk or something. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Call me a tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist. The Rock is just, and you know, another weird thing about The Rock, just to just to play into this conspiracy stuff, he's gotten, like, as he's aged, he's gotten in better physical condition and got bigger and stronger looking than when he was in his 20s back in the WWF. He never looked as good as he looks now. And, and he, this dude is like in his, how old is The Rock? He's got to be in his late 40s early 50s now right i mean that is incredible to say the least that is incredible i mean i i really feel like the rock's not human bro there's nothing he can't do it's crazy and 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 not just that but the amount of work that he does as well i follow him on instagram and whatnot and i see everything he's doing on a daily basis he's very active you know he shares he's very transparent with his activities and what he does um, and, and I mean, because he spends half of his time doing promotional work for his very own products like Teremana Tequila, like Zoa Energy Drink. Um, and yeah, and he, so he's always doing promotional work for that. I mean, that's really what this track was for him, a promotional tool for Teremana Tequila, which I have yet to try. Unfortunately, I've been wanting to try that. I still have to get my hands on one of them Teremanas, but um. Yeah, The Rock is just a beast, man. What what a guy. What a guy. That's the kind of guy you inspire to be, for sure. So I'm going to go ahead and get into some boxing talk now before I close out this episode. Deontay Wilder, the official weigh-in, popped off yesterday. Um, Deontay Wilder is coming in at 238 pounds. Tyson Fury weighs in at 277 pounds. This is the highest weight ever for both fighters. Interestingly enough, the fighters were not allowed to pose for the traditional face-off that most fighters do. Um, Bob Arum commented on it saying he didn't want them to be quote-unquote dehumanized. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, clearly, this is because Canelo and Caleb Plant had a little scuffle at their face-off after their weigh-in. And obviously, oh, actually, I don't even think that was a weigh-in. That was just a press conference. So they still have yet to do the weigh-in and final face-off, which will be way interesting. It remains to be seen if they're allowed to do a face-off. But obviously, 
Canelo and Caleb Plant came to blows at their face-off. Um, and <laughs> Caleb Plant actually got cut up on his face. He had a massive cut uh, over his, his right eye, I believe. He actually tried to smack Canelo across the face. And Canelo, with the quickness, dodged. He slipped the smack and then came back with a two-piece and busted Caleb up. <laughs> at the face soften during the press conference that is incredible <laughs> you love to see it so that cut however brought a lot of fears that perhaps they would have to postpone this fight once again due to that um so that brought a big scare of course that was not the case uh the fight will continue on i should have put down the date that fight is i know it's in november guys i'm sorry i don't remember what day but it is in november just look up Caleb Plant, Canelo fight. Canelo or Canelo's next fight, right? He's the most popular boxer right now, Canelo. And it'll it'll come up. But nonetheless, I think Bob Arum didn't want you know Deontay Wilder or Fury to potentially come to blows and jeopardize their fight. You know what I'm saying? So that's just Bob Arum being super cautious. Um and I can respect that, but come on. I mean, as it is, this fight, it, it's it's seldom being advertised. Uh, it remains to be seen what kind of pay-per-view numbers this is going to do because uh, I believe UK fans are not able to attend this fight because of the COVID stuff going on. It's, it's super hard, you know. Usually, when a UK fighter that's popular, like Tyson Fury, when he fights... The UK fans, they roll with their guys, bro. They roll with their dude, you know? And they come in droves and they make the fight so much more fun and exciting because the UK fans, they're traditionally soccer fans, right? Like every single person in the UK practically is a fan of football, of soccer. And so it's traditional in soccer games to sing the songs uh, that they come up with sometimes they're folk songs or, or songs that represent the history of the team and whatnot good crowd cheers and everything and they bring that flavor to boxing which is something that's not the norm for boxing you know i mean most of the time in boxing fans they they don't be singing or nothing like that they just you know they'll cheer or boo or i mean you re you seldom ever hear the fans really chanting ch chanting anything in boxing so <clears throat> That's why when I when when UK fighters fight, I love to see it because the fans they make it that much more exciting. They bring a whole new flavor, man. Um, they're like Mexican fans, actually. Yeah, Mexican fans they 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 do the canta no llores and they do their own thing. Ole 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 ole, you know. Ole when a fighter is out getting outboxed, you know what I mean? But yeah, the UK fans they're on that same level. Um, all right, guys, as for my prediction, though, oh, man, you know, this fight last year, <laughs> oh, no, earlier this year, uh, I think, no, 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 yeah, last year in February, I'm tripping, last year in February, their, their second fight popped off, and I put all my marbles on Deontay Wilder, I thought Deontay Wilder was gonna knock Fury out. Um, and I thought he was going to do so handily. I didn't think it would be a difficult fight for Deontay. And I, and I based this because not only because of that right hand. It's just a thing of beauty. It's a deadly weapon. I mean, Deontay Wilder is officially uh, like he's got the highest knockout percentage in the history of the sport. I believe. Right. What is he like? 
42 knockouts, 40 uh, or 42 wins, 41 knockouts, right? Something like that. I mean, it, it, his knockout percentage is insane. Uh, one punch could truly, it could end any fight at any time. Um, so on top of that, I remember Deontay Wilder's performance against some German dude. I don't remember the name of the guy, but I remember that guy busted Tyson Fury up really bad in the eye. And that guy is not a puncher. He's not a big puncher. At least I don't think he was. Uh, from what I remember, his record did not indicate that he was a big puncher. So if this little puny guy could hurt Tyson Fury like that, almost win the fight by causing a stoppage because his uh, Tyson Fury's eye got very bad. I was thinking to myself, well, now imagine what Deontay's going to do. Oh my God, was I wrong. When I was watching... Tyson Fury absolutely ragdolled this guy. <laughs> like I'd never seen Deontay Wilder getting ragdolled before. That's something that's never happened. And, and here's the thing. Deontay Wilder cannot fight backing up. He doesn't know how to. Because he's not used to that. Because every fighter that has fought with Deontay Wilder has been afraid of that one-punch power that Deontay has. So they refuse to come at him. So normally, Deontay is the aggressor. And, and now, when I say aggressor, he's not the kind of fighter that throws punches in bunches. But he, he does usually dictate the pace of the fight going forward. Throwing a pretty solid jab, actually. A pretty solid jab and waiting for the time to connect his major weapon. That big right hand. Now, when Tyson Fury got in there with him for this second fight, Tyson Fury flipped the script and he actually pursued Deontay and walked him down. And again, Deontay does not know how to fight backing up. So, of course, he was in unknown territory. And you've seen the look on his face Hell, you seen the look on Kenny Bayless's face, bruh, when Deontay was getting his ass whooped. <laughs> the look on Kenny Bayless's face told the whole story. Go back and watch that fight. My goodness, I'm so excited, man. Um, so, if Deontay Wilder's camp did not train him to learn how to fight on his back foot and to go forward more, and not just rely on that right hand. He loses again. Very easily. Now. Tyson Fury. You got to think about this for a second. Tyson Fury. He easily. Destroyed Deontay Wilder. In that second fight. He, he made it look easy. It, it looked like he didn't even break a sweat. And I know he did. Because he's a big ass dude. But. <laughs> the point is. I have to imagine. That after the destruction that Tyson Fury put on against Wilder, I have to imagine that his state of mind going into this third fight is that he's not taking this fight seriously. He's not... I mean, that's really the, ch the major chance that Deontay has right now. If Fury is going into this fight thinking it's going to be a walk in the park again, thinking it's going to be the same exact fight... And, and Wilder brings something different to the table, which he must if he wants to win this fight. <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, it's not going to be a walk in the park. 
And I have this feeling. Call me what you will. Hey, hey, listen. After the fight said and done, and I come back for the highlight reel, Lalo underscore THR, I will eat crow once again if Deontay gets beat again. But I'm going to tell you right now, daddy, I just got this feeling. I got this, this intangible feeling that Deontay Wilder is going to knock Tyson Fury out tonight. And I, I, the reason I got this feeling, I, I mean, mainly when I try to rationalize it in my mind, I just feel like, I mean, listen, let me cut myself off. I've been seeing like, you know, they're like they're weighing yesterday, right? Bro, Deontay Wilder was eerily quiet. Meanwhile, Tyson Fury was talking trash. He was saying all this stuff. He's like, oh, I'm going to send him to the hospital and this and that. And, oh, your wife's not going to recognize you. And as, now listen, listen very closely to what I'm about to tell you. When Tyson Fury mentioned Deontay's wife and said, I'm going to beat you so bad, your wife's not even going to recognize you. The camera panned in on Deontay Wilder and Deontay Wilder, he smirked. He stood quiet and just smirked. Now, the guy, the fighter who is quiet and not saying much, that does not indicate fear, guys. That indicates a whole nother level of concentration and determination because he's poised to not let Tyson get under his skin. The loudest guy in the room is usually the weakest guy in the room. Remember that saying, and I'm going to tell you right now, of a boxer who normally talks a lot but is eerily quiet during the build-up to a fight. In my view, that's a scary man. That is a scary man. Because he's not going to let no one get under his skin. And he's got something up his sleeve. He can, you know, I don't know, man. Maybe, maybe I'm, <laughs> maybe I'm looking too much into things. But that's just what I'm feeling, bro. I'm feeling like Deontay Wilder has a whole new level of determination. Um, he's got redemption on his mind. And listen, this is not to say that he's going to blow out Tyson Fury in the first round. That's not what I'm saying at all. As a matter of fact, I predict that the fight's going to play out very similar to, to, the, to the last fight they had. I think Tyson Fury is going to be walking Wilder down um, and is going to be controlling the fight, dictating the pace of the fight. However, I'm not sure which round. I, I'm not very good at predicting like specific rounds, but I just feel like Wilder is going to end up landing that wicked right hand while Tyson Fury is in his mind thinking this is another walk in the park. I'm walking this fool down. He ain't got nothing on me. And he's going he's gonna to let his guard down. And Wilder is going to nail him with that right hand out of nowhere. And it's going to wobble Tyson Fury. And Fury will lose his balance and then get dropped. And when he recovers, he's not going to fully recover. He's going to be on spaghetti legs. He's going to be on Queer Street. 
And I think I just have this feeling, y'all. I feel like Deontay is going to knock out Tyson Fury this time around. Now, again, <laughs> when it's all said and done, and if it, the, the same outcome happens and Tyson Fury just whoops <laughs> Deontay's ass to a whole nother stratosphere, I'll come back on this pod, on this show, and I will tell you that, uh, hey, I was wrong. I'll eat crow again, but I don't think that's going to happen. That's my prediction, Jack. Deontay Wilder finally redeems himself against Fury after succumbing to a draw in the first bout and then succumbing to a, a top-notch ass-whooping <laughs> in the second. He, he, he got mauled in the second fight. He got mollywhopped. He's going to redeem himself here in this third fight by knocking Tyson Fury out. If he doesn't knock Tyson Fury out, I'm, uh, look, I'm, I'm going to counter-predict that right real quick. <laughs> Some of y'all probably rolling your eyes like, oh, man. No, listen, I'm going to counter-predict this, though. If, if Tyson Fury does win again, I don't think he's going to win by knockout this time. I think he'll win by decision this time if he should win again. I think it'll be by decision for Fury. But I'm sticking to my guns. Once again, um, Deontay Wilder is going to win by knockout this time around. As for Canelo and Caleb Plant, oh man. <laughs> Listen, you know, Caleb Plant, he, he's got a very dramatic story, man. You know, if you, if you look up his story. Just, just type in Caleb Plant on YouTube and look up his story, his childhood, and everything he's went through. This is a guy who has actually redeemed himself by making something of himself in this boxing game. And it's a fairy tale story for him. He married a boxing analyst, right? I forget her name. Uh, a very, very beautiful woman. Um, she's a Fox Sports correspondent, I believe. I forget her name at the moment. It's on the tip of my tongue, but I, I forgot it. But they make a nice couple, man. You know, like a power boxing couple. I never seen something like that. You know, a boxer marrying a a boxing reporter. Like that's just cool to me. You know, maybe I'm I'm corny as fuck. I don't know, but that's cool to me, man. So I like Caleb Plant. I do, and the kid does got skills. Yeah, he's he's a pretty quick fighter. Um, he's technically sound. You know, he doesn't go out there and just and just fight like a caveman, you know what I mean? He's he's got the sweet science down pat. But I uh, he's not good enough for Canelo. I'm sorry. You know what I'm saying? Canelo is just You know how good Canelo is? I'm gonna tell you how good Canelo is. That my grandfather who is from Mexico City. He's a Chilango. Now, I know Canelo is from uh, Jalisco, right? He's from Guadalajara. But nonetheless, my grandpa's a Mexican. You know, he's a real Mexican. And yet, every time we watch Canelo fight, he's always talking shit about Canelo because he says his fights are too easy for him. So these are clearly staged. That's how good Canelo is. That my grandpa... Thinks that Canelo's fights are all staged because he he looks like he wins too easily. That's how good Canelo is. <laughs> and every time he tells me that, like I I, I just I, I chuckle, you know, and I'm like, yeah, all right, Grandpa, yeah, you're right, you're right. <laughs> but come on, you know, that's how good Canelo is. Every other fight, my grandpa's cool with. We, I mean, we're, we're gonna we're gonna watch uh, Fury and and Deontay Wilder later tonight. That's a, that's a tradition. Me and my my pops, me and my grandpa. You know, we watch the fights together. We watch soccer together. Um, 
you know so that's how we spend our 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 time together you know what i mean and he's gonna watch tyson fury and deontay wilder he ain't gonna say nothing but every time he watches canelo fight he's always like man he wins all of his fights too easily they're all staged no gramps canelo is just that good canelo ko's caleb plant inside of inside of seven rounds I'll give it seven rounds. Canelo will KO Caleb Plant. Perhaps nine. Perhaps nine. Uh, again, I'm very bad with predicting specific rounds. But Canelo is going to defeat Caleb Plant. I want to thank you guys very much for joining me on this special edition of the Highlight Reel. Covering last week's uh, uh, AW programming as well as this week's and some boxing even. You know what I'm saying? Hey, this is the Highlight Reel. We just talk highlights. You feel me? Don't forget to wash your hands and don't forget to wash your ass. Tip your waitresses, y'all. I'm out you.